Alrighty. Well, hi, everyone. So thank you for the, uh, the warm welcome. Um, I know most of you now. I've been here a few times. Uh, it's a real pleasure to come back uh, and be able to speak to you again, uh, looking at this chapter in Thessalonians, which I confess I've only read once or twice in the past and uh, kind of glossed over it a little bit. So it was wonderful to be able to spend a bit of time digging into this part of God's Word and really understanding it a bit more and being able to share that with others. So the context of this letter is that Paul, Silas, and Timothy have written this letter to the Thessalonians, uh, and it's broken down into a couple of parts. The first three chapters highlight aspects of the relationship between Paul and the Thessalonians, about how they came to faith, Paul's desire to meet with them, and the good report that Paul had received about them. So that would have been really encouraging for Paul. And then the final two chapters are words from Paul of instruction and encouragement for the Thessalonians. Instructions that their lives should be pleasing to God, lives that show love for God's people, and lives that are lived with hope. Paul urged them to live in hope because the day of the Lord is coming. And regardless of whether you are alive or dead when that day arrives, you, a believer in Christ, will not suffer wrath, for you have received salvation. And so today we're going to dive into the final part of this letter. And while it might not be immediately apparent, these verses are vital for unity within the body of Christ, within the church. And as we break down this passage, think about how each part gives us a picture of what unity can look like how it is achieved practically, and what makes it possible to achieve true unity. So before we get stuck in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks that you are our glorious creator, that you have placed each person on this earth uh, to do your will uh, at just the right time uh, and in just the right place. And Father, we thank you for Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. We thank you that it's been recorded for us. And we do pray that you would give us eyes to see your truth, that we might then uh, be encouraged and challenged to live out that truth in the coming days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what does unity look like? We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 15, and I am going to read that out again. I know we've just read it, but it's always good to have it front of mind when we're thinking about what it means. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Now, earlier this year, I spent about the equivalent of about two full weeks, so 70 to 80 hours, putting together a promotion application at university. And a few weeks ago, I got news that my application was successful. Uh, and that was in recognition of my work as a university lecturer. Now, I was very relieved after all of that hard work to actually have 
my efforts over nearly 20 years in the role um, to be recognized with a promotion. And that's fantastic. I don't like the idea of sharing that with everyone publicly because it makes me a bit embarrassed, but I am making a point. That recognition, it, while it's great, it actually pales in comparison to the recognition that we receive from our fellow believers. Maybe there have been times when you've prayed with others, or maybe when you've shared some insight from God's word to encourage them. Sharing these things are a blessing to the body of believers. When people have done that for me, when they've acknowledged me for being obedient, in a sense, to Paul's instructions to the Thessalonians, I'm reminded of how that actually brings us together as a body of believers, to acknowledge each other, to actually draw us closer together and say, you did great work. That helps us as a body be close together. Imagine what the church would be like. Imagine this family of believers here, what it would be like if we never acknowledge the hard work of others. Whether you like being praised or not isn't the point. It is important that others acknowledge the work that you've done, whatever that work is. It might be that your work in the church seems very small, but the size of the task doesn't matter either. It is whether you do it diligently, that you work hard at the task, that's what matters. And by doing this, we bring together the body of believers. We know that our work is appreciated, and that makes us so much more inclined to continue working. Paul was very conscious of the fact that if we just keep working and working and burn ourselves out and no one ever recognizes us, then the church isn't going to function for very long. And Paul doesn't want us to just acknowledge those who work hard, although that's really important. He wants us to acknowledge those who care for you in the Lord. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who pray for you, who ask how you're going in your faith, those who look after you when you are unwell, or those who work with you in a ministry activity. We need to acknowledge these people. And I want to acknowledge everyone here who greets me each time I come to this church. It is a great joy for me to be here um, and to receive such a warm welcome um, and then have an opportunity to speak to you to share God's word. Sometimes it is a hearty handshake, sometimes it's a shy wave, uh, sometimes it's just a smile. But all of those things remind me of our unity together in the body of Christ. I worship regularly at a different church. When I come here, I feel like I'm a part of this church. I see the unity of God in action in this body of believers. Paul discusses unity very specifically in Ephesians chapter 4, but if you look throughout his writings, you actually see he speaks to a lot of things that relate to our unity. When we acknowledge others for their care and their hard work, we are building up the body of Christ. We are building unity. So it is vital that we not only offer acknowledgement, but then we also receive that acknowledgement with grace and humility. Now, this is going to sound really weird, but I consider myself a fairly modest person. 
it always sounds weird to say that out loud. But for a long time, I was kind of brushing off the acknowledgements that people gave me. It's like, oh, it's not that big a deal. No, it was, it was fine. I don't praise me. I don't like it. But I realized that I, by doing that, I'm actually diminishing the body of Christ because I'd missed a couple of important ideas. For that person to come up to me and acknowledge what I'd done, that might have been really difficult and awkward for them to do that. It took a lot of effort on their part to come and give me some acknowledgement. Sorry, I lost my place. And when that, that person would have maybe felt awkward because then they are um, thinking about uh, giving me praise and then I might think they are buttering me up for extra work. How often does that happen in the church? Oh, you did a great job. Do you want to come and do it again? <laughs> That's pretty common. But when someone acknowledges you, we should also be reminded that this is an opportunity for us to offer praises to God. It is God who is working in and through us. It is God who has given us our abilities. So it is good that when we are acknowledged for using those abilities, we are then reminded to praise God. We should humbly receive the praise and acknowledgement that we're offered rather than be falsely modest. And that way, ultimately, God is the one who receives all the praise. So acknowledging people who have done hard work, acknowledging people who care for you, it can be awkward at times, but that's still pretty straightforward. You know, it's a good thing to do that. What about those people who admonish you? Those who come up and go, ah, maybe you didn't do that bit so well. Do we acknowledge those people? That's pretty hard. Imagine this conversation with a small group co-leader who comes up to you after a recent meeting and he or she says, I think you're a bit rough on Jerry in our Bible study this week. He's a new Christian, so you can't expect him to know the order of the minor prophets in the Bible. Maybe next time you could point him to the right place before you ask him a question. That way he won't feel embarrassed about not knowing everything in the Bible. How easy is it for us to then acknowledge uh, and receive that admonishment and say, oh, thank you for telling me off. <laughs> we, don't usually say, uh, we don't usually think that way. But Paul is commanding us here to do that, to actually receive that correction well so that the body of believers is built up. It's not easy to receive, it's not easy to give that kind of admonishment. But when we do this well, when we give uh, appropriately and when we receive with humility, then we see the body of believers built up. And all of these people, those who uh, work hard, who care for us, who admonish us, Paul says we hold them in the highest regard. It is not easy to do these things, but it is vital if we wish to live in peace and in unity with our fellow believers, to truly be the body of Christ together. Now, Paul's challenges in this chapter keep on coming. Warn the idle, warn the disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Each of those things on their own is hard work, let alone all of them together. Yet without them, the body of Christ would be completely dysfunctional. 
So which of those things do you find most difficult in your own life? Maybe it's more than one of those things. If I had to pick one, it would actually be the second of, the, of that list, to encourage the disheartened. There's a few times I've had an opportunity to do this in a church context, but when I did, I kind of feel like I'm at a loss for words, and I've wondered whether what I'm saying is just kind of received as empty platitudes. Because life can be brutal, and words can seem very cheap. But God has been gracious. He's reminded me that sometimes it's simply enough just to be there for that person who is disheartened, to listen carefully to what they're saying, and then to remind them that God is trustworthy. He's worthy of our worship, even in the difficult times, not to offer an answer to their problems, but to point them to God. And Paul sums up these challenges with an exhortation to not seek revenge or payback, but to strive for what is good for each other and for everyone else. This is unity-focused language for each other and for everyone else. No one is left out. Instead, our actions should benefit, either directly or indirectly, the whole body of believers. When you take time to sit and listen to the person who cleans the kitchen, when you encourage them, they are more likely to keep on serving because their efforts have been recognised. And having a clean and functional kitchen is vital for the health of every church. So what can we take away from this section? We model unity when we faithfully and with care acknowledge, encourage and admonish others. We model unity when we faithfully and with care acknowledge, encourage, and admonish others. So how then is unity practically achieved? All of these things that Paul's talked about and the things we've talked about this morning, they sound well and good, but how is it done in a practical sense? Paul doesn't leave this to the Thessalonians to figure out on their own. He gives them what I think is one of the most difficult set of instructions in all of Scripture. Looking at verse 16, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So four words, two of the shortest verses in Scripture, and two of the most challenging. Rejoice always, pray continually. These are also some of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. Does anyone here know someone who seems to be almost perpetually happy? Unfazed by anything, almost irritatingly joyful. To be honest, I hope we could all point out someone like that in our life. Maybe not the irritating part, but the joyful part. Imagine how different our outlook on this life would be if we had a mindset that always rejoiced. Now, a few weeks ago, as you may have gathered, I had an unenviable experience. Uh, I was running with my dog, um, and I tripped over and thought, yeah, I'm going to make it, and then I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to make it. Tried to roll, landed on my shoulder, broke my collarbone. It was a bit of a nasty break, needed surgery. I'm getting much better, so I can move my arm around, but this is protection. 
So it was an unenviable experience. Um, and I've had surgery, as I said, so I'm slightly bionic. I have a metal plate in my shoulder now. And while I admit I wasn't rejoicing at the point at which I fell over, because it did sting a bit, I have had much cause to rejoice since. The fact that I didn't lose track of my puppy when uh, I fell over, that I had my phone on me so I could call for help, and that while the break was pretty bad, it was my collarbone and not my shoulder, which would have been much worse and that I was able to get into surgery relatively quickly. There has been a fair bit of pain and inconvenience along the way, but I can reflect on and rejoice in the loving family and fantastic work colleagues that have helped me get through this difficult time. There is so much in this incident to rejoice about, and there's so much to pray about and give thanks for. This is what God wants us to do regardless of our circumstances. Our lives will be filled with all sorts of circumstances, joyful events, painful, even agonizing physical, emotional, and spiritual events where the pain seems unending. In all of those events, at all times, Paul is telling us to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. Now, if you're thinking that that's really, really hard, you would be correct. It is incredibly difficult to rejoice at all times. We'll see if I can get through the next bit without weeping. My 93-year-old grandmother, uh, she has advanced dementia. She's almost blind, uh, and I strongly suspect that she won't survive the year. It is incredibly painful to see her suffer in this way, and I do wonder what purpose God has in allowing this. But I'm not God, and I trust him even if I don't understand his purposes. I'm constantly reminded that my grandmother is a woman of faith in Christ Jesus. And while she may not recall her past, God knows her heart and he is faithful. And I can rejoice that one day I will see her again, resurrected by the power of Jesus Christ and restored to the perfection he has always planned for her. How can I not rejoice? And how can I not pray for those around me who so desperately need to hear and believe the good news of Jesus? All who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior can rejoice always. They can pray continually. They can give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because we have hope. Paul's declaration that this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus is not so much a command to be obeyed, but it is a call to be sustained in this life through Jesus and his power, rather than relying on our own impotent strength. I'm constantly amazed at the people who don't know Jesus, who they somehow manage to live their lives without the hope of Jesus. But I guess because God's graciously revealed his hope to me, I can see what they cannot. They don't know what they're missing out on. And believers like you and I, we're called to be courageous in sharing his truth with them, trusting in God's power to bring them to salvation. Paul continues with a few more instructions. In verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. 
So God is active in this world. He is working to bring about his purposes in your life and in mine. And I'm sure that we can each recall a time when we were tempted to sin. Now, sometimes we'll be really good and we'll reject that sin immediately, that temptation, and we'll turn away from it. But other times we don't reject it immediately and we're kind of considering our options. And we might have this sense, this almost voice speaking to us saying, that's not a good thing to do. That's your conscience speaking to you. God has created us with a sense of right and wrong and he uses our conscience to help guide us if we are prepared to listen. When we choose to ignore God speaking in this way, we can, over time, become hardened against God and it becomes more difficult to hear his voice. This is what it means to quench the spirit that resides in us. The fire of our faith and the hope we have in Jesus can become dim and we can become ineffective if we choose not to listen to God. This is not to say we are losing our salvation, but instead we're missing out on the abundant life that Jesus promised to those who love him. When we quench the spirit, when we give in to temptation and choose to sin, we find that rejoicing always, praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances becomes that much harder because sin takes our eyes away from Jesus. And it's only in Jesus' power that we can live in the way that Paul instructed us. And in the same way, we must not treat prophecies with contempt, but instead test them. And we should keep in mind that prophecy here is not just the predicting the future kind of prophecy, but it's any revelation of God's word and his truth. Maybe received as you've been reading the Bible, or maybe it said some, uh, something said by your pastor, or a family member, or a friend. Paul is wanting us to be discerning, not dismissive. To listen to what people are saying, and if what they say is good, then we hold on to it. But if what they say is evil, then we reject it. Paul actually prayed for the Philippian church, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And he prayed this so that they could approve what is excellent and be, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. When we are filled with the fruit of righteousness, when we're not quenching the spirit, we are able to glorify God. And when we do this, we will find ourselves rejoicing more. We'll find ourselves praying more. We will find ourselves giving thanks. These will become more and more an essential part of our everyday life. When we do these things, we build unity. We build unity when we rejoice, when we pray and give thanks in Jesus' name. So again, that's all well and good. Paul's giving us some practical instructions, but how is this even possible? Well, if we look at verse 23 to 28 in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, we see, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful 
and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So you might be thinking, possibly at this time, assuming you're still awake, it is all well and good to talk about rejoicing and praying all the time and giving thanks all the time and discerning what is good and evil, but how do I actually achieve all of these things? I'm just an average person. How does Paul, how does Jesus expect me to do all of these things? If you are thinking that way, that's actually a good thing. I'd be really worried if you said all of that sounded easy to do. Anything related to God and his expectations of us should not seem easy. Just as God's ways are higher than ours, so too God himself is far above us. We cannot meet his lofty expectations, at least not on our own. The whole point of God in the flesh, Jesus the Son, coming to this earth as a man to live among us was so that he could be the perfect sinless sacrifice that fully pays the penalty for your sin and for mine. And the great news is that God doesn't stop there. He didn't just uh, deal with our sins, he then goes on to sanctify us. This means he's molding our character, he's helping us make wise decisions. And over time, as we listen to him, as we submit to him, we find our character becomes more like his perfect character. And through this process, we find increasing ability to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. We find increasing ability to rightly discern what we hear as either good or evil. Jesus, our Savior, is faithful, and he will do this. But we should bear in mind that generally our journey is not short and sweet. It is more like the Beatles classic for the older ones in the room, a long and winding road. We will falter at times. We will sometimes choose poorly and make mistakes. So we need to keep turning back to God, repenting of our sin and trusting in the salvation we've received from Jesus. Remember, he is faithful and he will do this. And the good thing is that we don't do this journey alone. We can pray for each other. We can ask each other to pray for us, just as Paul did when writing to the Thessalonians. And if we live this way, we increasingly understand that we are unified by the sanctifying power of our faithful Lord Jesus. We are unified by the sanctifying power of our faithful Lord Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes unity possible. And that truth brings me great relief. God demands that we do bring our very best to the table and we will be called to account for all of our words and our actions, as Paul tells us in Romans 14, 12. But the ultimate outcome, which is our sanctification, that is dependent on Jesus, not on us. He is faithful and he will do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you that you are faithful to your word and we praise you that you are faithful to uh, the process of sanctification that you're carrying out in each one of us. We do ask for your forgiveness where we have sinned. 
We pray that you would give us strength to resist temptation, to always be turning back to you and trusting in you, even when we are enticed. And Father, I ask that as we, uh, as we pray, as we rejoice, uh, as we seek unity in the body of believers, that you would sustain us uh, and that we would be constantly reminded that you are faithful. And we pray all of these things in your son's precious name. Amen.